0: Hello. Welcome to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. This week, we continue our series of rising together with people who have a story that may be different than what you are familiar with, something that maybe has in their life experience, something that you could learn a little bit about, learn a little bit from, think differently about people who are also coming through an experience like the one you're about to hear about, an experience of addiction. Uh, here's the interesting thing. You know. I wanna talk to a, a friend here named Doug, Doug Bobst. Doug has a, a crazy story in that he had a life that descended into what ended up being the worst moment of his life, or so he thought, it was the first moment of the rest of his life as he was being arrested and taken to jail for felony drug possession, and uh, in in hearing his story, it's a story of addiction. It's a story of having started with uh, you know some simple coping mechanisms that ballooned into something bigger and i'd like to encourage you to consider how even if you aren't someone who's taken some serious drugs how addiction starts small what can start for many of us as reaching for something to help take the rough edges off of a tough day or a long day is something that can snowball and get out of control and get out of Um, us being able to still have it be a healthy part of our life. It can turn into a barrier from who we'd like to be or how we'd like to show up for the people we love in a snap. Yep, here in this instance, we're going to talk about the addiction of drugs, but addiction isn't exclusively to substances. It's not exclusively to things that you take. Addiction can be food. Addiction can be the way that you're paying attention to status on social media. Addiction can be vanity. It could be the way that you're working out beyond something that is healthy. It can be, frankly, anything. And so as you hear this story, I hope that you'll also consider the parallels or the analogies that might be drawn for how any of us, in trying to quiet the voices in our head, be they of people in our past who may have left stories of our worthiness or our enoughness, the insecurities that get triggered in certain instances and how we've reached for things in, in coping mechanisms that, that weren't there to actually serve us, that didn't help us. There is something interesting here also in what started as a small controllable thing spiraling into something that went out of control, how it was about, yep, one drug leading to another. It's also the story of how the escalation of the choices and the drugs that were being introduced in Doug's life brought new circles of people around him that indulged in or afforded him these bad choices. And there are some of you that are listening right now who have already made some decisions in their life in coping mechanisms that have you finding people who aren't going to hold up an accountability mirror that aren't going to hold you as accountable as you might need because in surrounding yourself with these people, you know you're going to get off the hook. You know you're going to get away with making decisions that aren't in your best interest. It's It's a slippery slope. When coping becomes a crutch, when coping turns to unhealthy, when coping starts to get in your own way, you have to make a choice to stop before it crosses over. Uh, and becomes an uncontrollable thing that you just can't, can't keep control over. Um, I'll tell you what, a big reason why I was interested in doing this episode is I find myself coming out of a season where my coping mechanisms, my attempts to take a long day and and smooth it out with drinking went from a thing that was a, a normal thing and a controllable thing to an unhealthy thing that crossed over a threshold. It's part of why I had to make a decision to just stop drinking altogether. In making the decision to step away from drinking as a coping mechanism, I had to find healthy alternatives to replace drinking with. It's why I run as much as I do. In in my book, as much as there's a full chapter where I try to unpack the lie that a drink will make this better, uh, spoiler alert, it will not, The the acknowledgements of the book include a shout out to the roads as having been part of and an opportunity for me to pour the thing I was looking for in a coping mechanism into something healthy into something that would still allow me to take the you know thing I was looking to have happen the long day and relieve it with something that was um, you know a, a, a way to process it, a way to compartmentalize it. When the kids, I have, you know, obviously these thousand humans at home. When I, when I have had the day that I've had, and then it's time for three practices and, you know, everything that being a dad comes with, uh, getting out and running for me was the thing that I was able to substitute my personal addiction for. And so uh, if you're listening... And you have responsibility. If you're listening, you have a lot of kids. If you're listening and you got a high-stress job, if you're listening and you do the hardest thing in the entire world and stay home and be a parent at home to children. And there are days where you have to have a drink, have to have just a little pill, have to have a little bit of eating in secret, have to fill in the blank. I'd like to encourage you to think about those choices that today maybe feel controllable, those choices that maybe today you rationalize, those choices that maybe today you surround yourself with a circle of people who don't hold you accountable to the possible side effect that those decisions are having and how you show up for your family or how you show up at work or how you can look yourself in the mirror and feel a sense of pride for the choices that you're making when you listen to this story. Uh, I am awesome. (laughs) I'm sorry, that sounded ridiculous, but I'm awesome. And I fell victim to thinking I could control something that ended up becoming bigger than me when it came to drinking. And it took having an accountability partner in Rachel to hold a mirror up and ask some harder, bigger questions about whether the coping mechanisms I was reaching for were really in my best interest as I have this ambition for showing up well for this team, showing up well for her as a husband, showing up well for my four kids. And if anything, I hope that having a serious slash hard conversation with your old pal Dave in this podcast maybe forces someone here who's listening today and is struggling to ask a better set of questions around how they're coping with the hard things in their life. Um, Number one, you're not alone. I, I promise you there are way more people listening to this podcast who have something coping mechanism wise that is negative, that they are not proud of, that does not support the very, very best version of themselves than there are not. So if you're hearing this, shame has no place in this conversation. Honesty does. Having a plan does. Accountability with people that care about you, that you care about, does actually being honest about who you hope to be in this world and whether the decisions you're making are supporting you reaching that version of yourself or not that does shame does not feeling feeling badly about or not enough about or feeling like you're the victim and so it does not play uh, it does not actually help you get to the place that you'd like to go in this conversation Being honest about the choices you're making, having a plan, and taking a step toward a better version of yourself, that does. And if this doesn't relate to you at all, you're listening to say, you know what, I'm good, Dave. I don't have any bad coping mechanisms. Okay, number one, I think you're awesome. Congratulations on conquering life. But two, you know who does struggle in this space? Every other person that you know including your partner. You're in relationship right now with someone who has negative coping mechanisms, that has coping mechanisms that do not serve them. And I'd love, love to have this podcast as a, an excuse, as an opportunity to bring up in a loving way the things in your relationship that currently are the obstacles to you having a more exceptional relationship when it pertains or as it pertains to negative coping mechanisms. What is it that your partner currently does that does not serve them showing up for you as the best version of themselves in this relationship because of how they turn to something when things get hard? How is it, if you're gonna be really honest with yourself, how do you, listener, turn to something that does not set you up to be the partner they deserve, does not set you up to be the parent they deserve? There's something that you inevitably are reaching for, that you're turning to, that in your habit loop, when you are triggered, you do that you know deep down in the privacy of your head, you know you could be doing better. And if you are in relationships with someone who cares as much as you hope that they do about you, being honest about the observation of what that thing is and how they, in partnership with you, could come alongside you and help you get out of your own way would be, man, what an amazing outcome from listening to this podcast I want to encourage you to do that i am sitting here today 44 years old the very best and strongest version of myself and i am here not long removed from having not been as strong as i am today and i'm here because i had a partner who was willing to come alongside me and have hard conversations about coping and the positive ways that you can do it and the negative ways that it gets in your way and every single day I would be grateful for it, even though every one of those conversations was very difficult to have. We've got somebody on today who has had very hard things happen in his life that were a product of bad decisions that he made, that were a product of incremental, tiny, escalating steps in a journey that started as a controllable coping mechanism that snowballed into an out of control addiction and ultimately incarceration. And at the lowest point of his life, he found the beginning of the rest of his. So if you're struggling, if you're hearing this and you're like I don't know what to do, if you're hearing this, it's provoking emotion, if you're hearing this and you decided enough, I'm ready. This can be the beginning of the rest of your life.
1: I'm Rachel Hollis.
0: And I'm Dave Hollis.
1: And we're married.
0: For like 15 years. And we have four kids. That's like a thousand kids. We've been foster parents to four kids as well. And we're running a business together. That's a lot of things. It is a lot of things. But we know that it's possible to have an exceptional relationship regardless
1: of the stresses you have in your life.
0: So if you want some tips and tricks on how we get through all the things,
1: this is Rise Together.
0: What's interesting for me in this conversation with you is I'm on a different kind of scale on the back end of having myself been in prison of my own making, uh, rehabilitating myself out of, in some respects, some addiction and having spent way too much time having alcohol as a thing that was helping solve some of my problems, or I thought it was, it was not actually helping in any way. But now being on the other side of this place where i was stuck and finding a, a new identity and a new platform and a new everything in in some ways has parallels They're completely different in some ways but some ways has parallels so i'm really interested to talk a lo- you know about your journey who you are who you were before everything that happened when you were 20 years old happened what you know it took to have that turning point in your life where you decided nope i'm going to rewrite a different kind of story and what it's meant every day since. I'm getting ahead of myself, though, because I have not actually formally introduced you. i got to find a way to, at the top of this show, actually introduce Doug Bobst, who's on the show with us today. Uh, He is uh, an award-winning personal trainer, an author, a speaker, a business owner. He's done a whole bunch of good in the world after having had a moment in a whole bunch of bad. And so rather than me spend more time introducing him, the books he's written, the work he's done, where he's been featured, Doug, welcome to the Rise Together podcast. Would you indulge these listeners with a little bit of background of who you are and what the heck you are going to share with us?
1: Yeah, Dave, I appreciate you having me. And um, for those listening, my name is Doug Bopst, and I'm a personal trainer and an author. And I've experienced you know quite a bit of success in a lot of things along my journey, but you know, like Dave mentioned, it wasn't long ago. I was really in the depths of despair. Um, I was hopeless. I was suicidal. I had no purpose in life. Um, as a matter of fact, I was incarcerated on felony drug charges when I was 21 years old. And that's where my life got changed it was fitness. Fitness saved my life um, when I was when I was in jail. And now as part of my journey, I help other people use fitness and a lot of the motivation and positivity that I've learned to help change their own lives. And it's been quite a blessing, man, I got to tell you.
0: So let me ask you this. There was a lot there. <laughs> you found yourself at 21 in jail. What what happened? How did you get there? What was it that, you know, kind of led up to it? I, I mean, obviously, like drug felony in in, in two words is a lot But if you can give just a little bit of the background of, like, how you found yourself in the place that had you being pulled over before you got imprisoned, like, what was it that was happening that led you into drugs or addiction or possession or whatever it was that, you know, like, can maybe be instructive to a little bit of, like, where you came from after that?
1: Well, you know, I think for me, I was self-medicating um, to escape my life in whatever way I could. My parents got divorced when I was five, and so I, I dealt with a lot of the insecurities that come with that. And then I wasn't always the most um, athletic, kid as a, uh, athletic kid, and I loved sports, but I just wasn't very good. I couldn't run. I couldn't jump. Plus, I was just goofy, so it just didn't work for me. And I was picked on a lot in middle school and in high school, and so I had all these um, insecurities. I had a lot of uh, low self-esteem, low self-confidence, lack of self-worth and i uh, wanted to do whatever i could to to numb the pain and for me it started with smoking pot when i was 14 and when i first started smoking it felt like that monkey came off my back that i could finally be myself i could finally not have to worry about what other people thought of me i could finally just not you know think about the person that i looked at in the mirror and you know i just kept chasing that same numbing feeling and one hit led to me smoking every day and then slowly building up to the point where I was selling it to support my habit and I barely, uh, graduated high school because all my friends and I would do was we would ride around and smoke pot. And, you know, one thing led to the next and I'm, I'm experimenting with cocaine shortly after graduating high school. And, um, you know, for those listening is for those who, uh, you know, when you start, um, doing more drugs, you meet more people, um, who do more drugs. So I actually met a guy who was selling, uh, copious amounts of pot. And he was asking me if I wanted to start selling for him. And I said, of course, I mean, if I could make more than $7 an hour or whatever I was making at the job I I had, and I ended up uh, just selling, you know, upwards of like $10,000 worth of pot a week to support not only me smoking pot, but then now I had a cocaine habit. And the problem with cocaine for me was I also struggle with have struggled with anxiety all my life and cocaine and anxiety go about as well together as someone who's trying to lose 100 pounds and eating pizza every day. So it just didn't work. And I started getting like really bad panic attacks when I was like, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old. And I just had no idea how to control them. And the only thing that I ended up finding was a friend, um, I say he was a friend, offered me a 5-milligram Percocet. And I just felt like that same monkey that came off my back when I first started smoking pot came off my back again um, because I got to a point where I had, I could only smoke so much pot and I couldn't even get high anymore. And then that five milligram Percocet turned into me, you know, snorting, you know, three, 400 milligrams of Oxy every single day to the point where like half my left nostril was missing. Oh, yeah. I was spending, yeah, I was spending hundreds of dollars a day and that's where it, it, it led me to making a lot of dumb decisions, not only like uh, personally, but even like professionally. I mean, I had 21 jobs at the time I was 20 years old and I... I got arrested on Cinco de Mayo 2008 um, with when I was riding around with two of my friends to go pick up some pills. I had the half a pound of pot in my trunk, $2,000 in cash, and I had a busted headlight that I had been meaning to get fixed. I got pulled over. You know, My heart sank into the pit of my stomach. I was scared. I was like my life at that point I thought was over. And I don't know if, if you or anyone listening has had these experiences where you make a really bad decision like that. But I felt like every bad choice I would ever made just came to a head and was running through my brain And um, and then that's 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 exactly like where my journey started. As far as you know, what landed me in jail. I mean, at the end of the day, I thought this was the biggest setback ever in my life, but it ended up becoming my biggest blessing.
0: I love it. Okay, there's a few things to unpack. I'm gonna start with because there's you know there's gonna be some listeners that are like, well, I'm I I can't relate. I'm not smoking that much weed. I don't have a cocaine thing that escalated out of the weed. I never had the Percocet problem. And I think it's important to start by just recognizing that the initial attempt to mute some of the discomfort from the circumstances of life showed up in something that probably felt manageable, that was... A little bit of weed here in the same way that it might be a glass of wine at night there or that might be just just a little bit. Right. And then those things, that thing that you're using to help cope becomes not able to actually take care of the sharp edges of your day or the insecurity of your heart or whatever it might be. And you need more. And it's when it then tipped into the more that it became the kind of problem that you now didn't have as much control of. And I'm speaking as much out of my own personal experience in, I, I love to have a drink at the end of a long day. And for years, that was something that was super, super manageable because, hey, a drink or two at the end of a long day, I've got a thousand kids to you know, like softly transition out of a busy day into an evening was just a thing that I could do. And when my life ramped up and started to introduce new, harder, more complicated things around identity and around fulfillment and around chasing the dreams of now this new company, I had to make a decision to fully and completely step back from what had become an unhealthy coping mechanism. And you had an unhealthy coping mechanism on a completely different scale. It was something that was controllable that turned into something uncontrollable.
1: Yeah, and here's the thing, Dave, and this is what I kind of try and tell people is that, you know, there's going to be stress in life. It's going to happen, right? And you can either battle it in a healthy way or an unhealthy way, like we were just talking about some of the unhealthy ways. Like, it's going to happen, but you have a choice, and if you don't manage it in healthy ways— you know, you're, you're going to be forced to do it in a way that's not so healthy. And I know maybe many people on here never struggle with a drug addiction. I never thought in a million years I'd struggle with a drug addiction. It's not like I woke up and was like, you know, I think I'm going to be a drug addict. It's just circumstances happen. And I was just managing those insecurities, trauma, you know, anxiety, depression, trying to fit in, um, with ways to numb the pain, and we do that with different things too. Some people might do it with food. Some people might do it with money. Some people might do it with sex, vanity, um, social media. I can go on and on. And I, it's not the it's not the drugs that was really the big thing for me. It was the way I was managing my insecurities that I had in life. Because I still have insecurities today. I mean, I'm human. There's still obviously things I'm not perfect in. It's just the way I deal with it is is like so much different. Um, than than I did years ago.
0: Well, I love the idea that the you know worst moment of your life, the place that you found yourself worried that maybe this was the end of your life or that life was over, was the beginning of your of your life.
1: Yeah, I mean, the judge uh, sentenced me to to five years. everything suspended but ninety days. Um, five years probation, 200 hours community service, all kinds of drug classes and fines, and then convicted me of the drug felony. He's like, I'm giving you a second chance. Like, he's like, if you complete everything without messing up, I will take the felony off your record when you get done your probation. And I just, at that point I was 20 and I didn't think I was going to live to see my 25th birthday. Like I hadn't, I literally had no idea how much longer I was going to live. I mean, I had buried several of my friends by this time. When I got to jail, after I detoxed cold turkey off of opiates for three weeks, which is like having the flu. It was terrible. It was awful. And my soon to be cellmate, I ran into, um, he was like one of those guys who looked like a more jacked um, version of um, Brad Pitt from Fight Club. And yeah, and he was like doing th- like thousands of push-ups. He was doing all these pull-ups, like climbing the like the walls and the railings in the jail. I was like, who the heck is this guy? And I remember him coming up to me like, you're gonna work out with me one day. And I'm like, dude, have you seen me? Like, and he just kept begging me to do it. And I and finally I gave in. And I remember like getting down to do a push-up. I couldn't even do a push-up from my from my knees. It was I was pathetic. And I really started to take ownership for myself when I was in there. Um, I really tried to adopt this mindset of I'm going to do whatever it takes to win every single day. And, you know, we set some goals in there, uh, to to do like 10 pushups and run a mile by the time I left after a few months. And I just busted my butt to make sure that without fail every single day, I gave it my best during my workouts and something shifted in my mind. And it wasn't the pushups and the sit ups themselves. It was how they made me feel right? And we talked about earlier about healthy versus unhealthy coping mechanisms. I was like, wow, I actually feel good. I feel like I'm high, but I haven't done any drugs. I feel like I can be happy and I haven't done any drugs. I feel like I can de-stress without doing any drugs. And that was a huge shift for me. And, um, by the time I left jail, uh, I was able to do the 10 pushups and run a mile. And I cried when I left because I just felt like my life was changed. And 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 I and not only just for myself, but just for what this guy had done for me. And he gave me a workout plan that I still have framed in my place so I never forget where I came from. And I promised him when I left that I wouldn't mess up. I continue to pay it forward and then I wouldn't let him down.
0: How long ago did all this happen in your life? How, how, how long since you were a human who was sitting inside of a cell?
1: Uh, it was almost 11 years ago.
0: Right. So like. The the thing I think I want to point out too is like there is something strange in the way that we as people who make mistakes, find ourselves stuck or sitting in a spot of mediocrity, like having told ourselves some story of – well, my family of origin dictates that this is just the way that life's going to be for me, or there's no way that I could do the kind of work that's necessary because it's going to take too much time, or that there's, like, you can tell a story as to why the stuck that you feel is the stuck you think you deserve, and that it's just the way that your life is going to be, that it just, it's not going to get any better than this. And I am here to tell you as a person who got stuck and came out of stuck, I'm sure Doug can tell you as a person who made choices and came out of it unbelievably better, that that decision that you are making is a lie that you are believing. You are choosing to believe a story that you've told yourself or that other people that you love or crave love from have told you. And by believing that, you are going to stay stuck unless you decide to flip that script and take control of the narrative Of your life, you have you have to choose that that's not the story. Is there something, Doug, in the way that you're having seen how much was possible from where you were to where you are? I mean, obviously, it's not been 11 years since you've been crushing. You've been crushing it for years now since you've been able to rehabilitate yourself. But for me, seeing man in just two years, I was able to do all these things. It's completely rewired the way that my brain thinks about how I can overcome anything literally anything that gets thrown my way. So Doug, I know you've written books. You obviously have used fitness to transform humans. Tell us a little bit about the way that the experiences that you've had have shown up in how you've tried to serve others. And in, um, in, in, First, in, in, in your books. I know you've written From Felony F- to Fitness to Free. You've written Faith, Family Fitness. I think there's one also on addiction. Tell us a little about the books that you've written.
1: So, I mean, Dave, I got to tell you, it's really cool as I look back, and I really didn't realize this till one of my clients actually pointed this out um, a few months ago, that, that the books are all a, f- a reflection of where I was at at that point in my journey. So when I wrote From Felony to Fitness to Free, I wrote it right after the felony came off my record in 2014. I was like, wow, like, I'm going to inspire people to make the most of their, ne- their, of their second chance, turn a negative into a positive, and, and share my story. And that's what like, really got me to start sharing my story was that book. And then Faith Family Fitness was, you know, I'm a born-again Christian. I wasn't always a guy who believed in anything. I mean, I grew up not believing in God at all. And I got to a point in my life where I was spiritually broken. I mean, I had everything else going for me. Um, This was, you know, about five years ago, and I ended up um, becoming a Christian and— and I realized that a lot, a lot of my healing and transformation has been a result of that, and a lot of the things that I've learned through that. And so I wanted to share my lessons in faith, family, fitness, which got written shortly after um, I became a born again Christian. And then the heart of recovery was I just hit, you know, ten years into recovery, and I wanted to share a lot of the lessons and tips that I've learned um, as to, to how, how to to conquer drug addiction, how to thrive in recovery, how to battle you know, anything you're dealing with, but also interview a collection of people from all walks of life and what their top tips and tricks are as well. And, and showcase that, um, it's about, you know, changing the people you hang out with. It's about working out. It's about self-awareness. It's about having a spirituality practice that works for you. It's about being regimented and just to help people know that whether they're struggling with addiction or not, it's all relatable because we all struggle with stuff. I mean, life guarantees you to have problems. It's just like how are you going to deal with it that counts? And I think you know these tools in, the, in that book is really something that's going to help people.
0: Right on. In having your conversations with people who – were battling or, or or will potentially battle addiction for their entire life. Were there cons- was there a consistent thing that came up from everyone? Were there were there some consistent things like what is? I, I think there is a ton of relatability. And by the way, there's you know like we I want to keep having conversations like this so that we can take some of the taboo away from the struggle because if we can bring it into light, we can actually work on how. And why why it happens, and how to you know help people get past it happening. But were, were there things that kind of consistently came up in the conversations you were having in the interviews for the book?
1: I mean, yeah, I would all I would all say that people a lot of people were battling things in some unhealthy ways. They all wanted to feel outside of themselves. They all wanted to just you know we're we're dealing with some stuff on the inside that was being displayed externally. I mean, I think addiction is something that is an internal battle that's displayed externally. And I think that the commonality was the solution was like really immersing yourself in positive community, really um, having some sort of fitness approach that works for you. It doesn't have to be, you know, going to boot camp every day or working with a trainer, just something that gets your body moving. Um, And then also having a spirituality practice that works for, for you, whether it's Christianity, whether it's Buddhism, whether it's just getting out in nature every day and, and, And embracing that, um, giving back whatever, whatever it looks like. Um, it was all common. It was just, and that's why I chose, it was an interview style book where I asked everybody the same five questions because I knew, I knew just based on my journey and talking to other people that those are the, these are the main things that, that people, um, really use to help them thrive in recovery. And and a lot of the answers were, they were different, but very similar in the way I just, I just described. Yeah. So
0: this is a relationship podcast, so theoretically, humans listening in relationship, though, obviously, if you're not in a relationship, welcome. You're always welcome here. Uh, it, addiction and and overcoming hard things and, you know, like going from who you were to like who you hope to be is a thing that's inevitably going to show up as a part of uh, relationships as well. Is there is there anything that you have specifically as advice if there is one person in a partnership who is struggling currently – and maybe even secretly struggling how how would you suggest that they broach a conversation about getting out of where they are stuck by having you know this partner of theirs be part of this journey with them
1: yeah i mean that's a tough one i think codependency is something that's huge right we hear a lot about codependency and people who stay in the wrong relationships just you know for the for the um just for the reasons of just feeling like they need to be part of something, right? And I think the same thing comes with people who are struggling with addiction. I think, you know, at the end of the day, you have to be prepared to approach a subject, um, number one, out of love, not out of shame. I think because a lot of times when people are going through hard stuff, whether it's drugs, alcohol, sex addiction, whatever, they're not exactly happy about it. So when people shame them or, or come off in a judgmental way, it makes them feel worse and they feel attacked. So the conversations probably not going to go very well. Right? I mean, I know when I feel attacked, it doesn't really help matters with a conversation with myself. So I would just come at it from a place of love and care and like empathy and, and also like just not enabling the person, right? If you're somebody who just keeps giving them chance after chance, after chance, after chance, they're not changing. I mean, odds are, you know, it's probably not going to, you know, serve you best in that relationship because you're going to end up being unhappy and then it's going to end up making the relationship unhappy. And, and I would just also like have a community of people you can reach out to. I mean, so that way you you don't feel like you're alone because I think that one of the biggest things is people feel like they're alone, whether that they're the only person whose loved one struggling with addiction or whose son or daughter, whatever it is. So make sure you surround yourself with people. There's plenty of great community organizations um, out there for people, for support groups of people who have, um, you know, family members who are struggling with addiction.
0: Right on. Everyone, everyone, is like, there isn't anyone listening who hasn't had something in the struggle category at some point or another, in particular with addiction, like having honest conversations about it, seeking help, finding a way to approach it in an environment that puts love first and shame doesn't have a space for is the way for healing and the possibility of overcoming the battle. So we're we're transitioning shortly into what for us is one of our biggest activations as a community the last 90 days. We do this thing from October 1st to the end of, De- of December in this attempt to try and finish the year as strong as we possibly can. And, and we rally the community around these five ideas of Getting up an hour earlier and doing something for yourself, moving your body for 30 minutes, drinking half your body weight in ounces of water every single day, focusing on gratitude and finding a single category of food you know you shouldn't be eating and taking a 30-day break from it. They have been what we've called our five to thrive, and they're like a little bit of the routine, the habits, the discipline that we like to apply to what we think of as being a springboard for the very best version of our life. I'm wondering if you, because I know you're big into fitness, you're big into nutrition, you are you know, like it, it has been a thing from either a coping mechanism standpoint or just a setting yourself up for success standpoint that's just become a big part of who you are. Do you have your version of a five to thrive or something that just you go to? What's like what's your go to for making sure that you're staying on this like straight and narrow feeling great and setting yourself up for success path?
1: I mean, I I would say for me, it's just a daily thing of gratitude, writing down one thing I'm grateful for every single day without fail. Um, It's eating healthy, like whole foods, like, you know, 90% of the time. It's making sure that whatever I'm doing, like aligns with my goals, like 100% that I'm not like surrounding myself with things that aren't in tune with the person I want to be. It's working out, you know, four to five days a week. It's making sure I'm hanging out with people who bring the best out of me. It's having faith, you know, faith in Jesus, faith in myself, faith in whatever I'm doing that day. And and also just like really um, like humility and being able to admit when I'm wrong and taking responsibility is something that has been really important for me because I make mistakes every single day. And during the times when I was blaming other people for my problems and not taking responsibility for myself was when I got myself into a lot of trouble. So that's something that really keeps me on a straightened path is the whole responsibility thing.
0: Yeah. What's interesting in that too, and I'm finding it in real time, certainly this transition that I've been through had me going from a person who was really, really focused on managing optics, uh, managing expectations, telling a good story. I'm a good storyteller. So you tell me the narrative, you want me to paint and I can paint it. And in this like, super curated Facebook, Instagram world, I can tell the story that preserves the everything's all right. Trust me. Everything's all right. Kind of narrative that I thought I was that that I thought was in my best interest to be telling. And what I've come to find out in the work that we're doing is being honest and open and transparent about the struggles that we have in relationship that I have as a dad, that I go through personally, that I have as a leader, as much as, uh, you know, it's countercultural in that it's not the thing that most people maybe are doing as normally, especially in this kind of Instagram, Facebook world. It is the thing that actually is connecting me more with an audience because of that honesty that I might be able to serve as a tool to, hey, here's what I experienced, here's what I learned. And if you want to maybe take a little bit of the learning, you can apply it to your life. I'm going to assume that at the beginning of you having this journey, like me, there was this I mean, I guess I don't want to assume, but for me, I I was resistant at first because I was worried of what people might think if I were to be as honest as I was about the things that I struggled with. As I have this book coming out that's 20 chapters of 20 times in my life where I am not, there's stories that I'm just not proud of, but I know in telling them, they're going to connect to people was there was there a hesitancy to be as honest about the things that you've been through that now, because of how you've been able to see it deliver value, it's changed the way you think about owning who you were and who you are?
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, when I first um you know started really sharing my story, I mean before that I was so scared, I was like, what are people gonna think of me? This whole felon thing, drugs, and I was like. Dating, like forget date. who's going to want to date like a convicted felon or former convicted felon who is a drug addict, Like, who's going to want that? And so I had all these self-sabotaging thoughts going through my mind. And I remember like I just started sharing what ended up happening was um, one of my clients at the gym I really liked a lot. I mean, I liked all my clients, but, you know, we had a good relationship. She would invite me over for Thanksgiving and different holidays things. And I hadn't told her my story. So I was like so scared. I felt almost like guilty because I felt like I was hiding something. And I remember just opening up and sharing it to her and telling her what was going on. And she was like, I thought the world of you before, and now I really think the world of you for what you've been through. And it just changed my mindset about it. I was like, wow, like, and I just remember thinking to myself, and I don't know if it was somebody who who said something to me or what, that the people who are judging me or shaming me for what I've been through aren't people who are meant to be in my life. And I had to really adopt that mindset because you know, there's gonna be people that don't resonate with my story. There's gonna be people that say, you know what, like, how dare you do that, or why'd you do that? But at the end of the day, like, I have to keep my eye on the people that are supposed to be in my life and not the people that aren't. So good. All right, Doug,
0: we are out of time, my man. It's been so nice catching up, getting to hear your story, getting to hopefully serve this audience well with... Um, The reminder, one, own your story, own who you are, see the things that have happened to you as having happened for you, that the hardest times in your life may in fact be the beginning of the best times of your life, and um, that if you find yourself stuck, if you find yourself in a rut, if you find yourself struggling, certainly uh, with something like addiction, that there is... Another side of this, there is the um, having persevered through after a bunch of hard work version of your life that if you want to fight for it and do the work, you can get to. Doug, tell us where listeners can follow you, where they can find out any information about you, your books, and all the work that you're doing.
1: So the best way to connect with me is I'm pretty active on Instagram. It's at Doug Bopst. And then if you just go to www.dougbopes.com, it's got all my information there as far as, you know, some of the stuff I offer as far as speaking or um, different services. And also with my books, if anybody's interested and, and kind of, you know, diving more into that.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you for being here. I know that uh, the audience is going to be appreciative of you having been here. And uh, I hope you continue to do some good work in impacting lives with the story of your life and all the work you are gonna do in fitness and everything else, my man.
1: I appreciate you having me and looking forward to, to, to hearing how it goes.